Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews in chapter 12, and we a wonderful crowd here tonight. It was a great crowd last night. I appreciate it. I know some of you, uh, I appreciate you getting in here, even if you have to be a few minutes late. I really do appreciate that. I know there's traffic around here, and I know it's not always easy to get here, and I really appreciate your effort. It's so good to see uh, the, so many of you here tonight. I'm really grateful for that. And uh, I'm excited about what God's laid on my heart tonight. I've dusted off something and actually changed it up some. And I'm going to preach something uh, that uh, probably haven't preached for a long time. And it's going to have stuff in it that I've never preached. And so I'm excited about the message tonight. I believe we've tailor-made it. I'm not we have, but I believe the Lord has uh, for tonight. And I want to deal tonight with something that's uh, really fresh on my heart. And I want to tell you, as I'm coming to you tonight, I'm certainly not coming as an expert. I'm coming to you as a fellow traveler. You say, what are you preaching on tonight? I want to preach on how to raise a rebel, how to raise a rebel. Now, I'm going to phase, uh, phrase it in the negative, and I'm hoping you understand that's tongue-in-cheek. That's not what I want you to do. But I sometimes find that when we got a little bit, allure, a little bit more on the negative, it kind of hits us in the face and say, yeah, I do that. I don't want to raise a rebel. So we'll kind of go that way. Now, let me just say something about child rearing, and I hope you understand this. I feel bad that you did not know me in my early life. Okay, I got married in 1984. My wife and I had 11 years of marriage, five miscarriages before our Stephanie was born in 1995. Now, I wish you'd have known me before 1995 because I was an expert on child rearing, an absolute expert. I could have told you where you're off, what you need to do. I, of course, uh, looked down with great disdain on all those kids that were throwing fits in the grocery store thinking that wouldn't happen if it was at my kid. You know what I'm talking about? All you before you, some of you out here, that's what you do because you don't have kids yet. And then 1995, our firstborn was born. And then it was my kid messing up, messing up in the grocery store, if you remember that, uh, kind of that uh, kind of happening to you as well. But, uh, and I kind of joined the ranks of the rest of you, Lord help. And I've been on that journey ever since. Now I'm going to say right up front, I'm going to be dead honest with you, I love child rearing. I still do. I love child rearing. It's one of the great privileges of the human experience to be a father. And I have absolutely loved it. And I can honestly say I think I've about loved every moment of it. From changing diapers on, I don't know, maybe it was 11 years waiting for that first one to come. The five miscarriages, I don't know. But I'm telling you, I have loved child rearing, still do, and uh, it's been a delight. Now, in our family, uh, we just had three girls, so we didn't have any boys to mess it up. That's what I put it that way. And uh, I, I'm, I'm told that if you have a boy in the family, that's because God looked down and saw they needed a man in the house, so he gave you a boy. But um, for some of us, we already had a man in the house, so we didn't need any, uh, any boys. So, um, uh, so anyway, so... Um, that's, uh, that's what I've heard anyway. I'm not preaching. That's just a little, uh, little opinion there to wake you up. But, um, uh, but I want to say this a little bit about child rearing. I uh, honestly mean this. I've kind of said this in the last few years, and I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. If in my life all that happened was my three girls turned out for God, I'd consider my life a smashing success. Everything else that happens is, gra is absolute gravy. <laughs> If my kids turn out for God, to me, that is the crowning achievement of my life. I remember my, um, I don't even know how I found out about it, but I believe my, my mother was on her deathbed. She was not going to live long, and my dad and her were reminiscing about life. My mother passed away a day before her 65th birthday. She battled cancer for nine years. I don't remember much about my mother being well. Neither my father. He had congestive heart failure for the last 15 years of his life. But they were conversing at the, her bedside knowing it would not be long. And I don't remember who told me this story or how I got wind of it, but they came to the conclusion that the greatest thing that their lives accomplished was raising their kids for God. That was the greatest thing. And I will tell you, when I found out about that, I was deeply moved, deeply moved. And I want to tell you some friends, the greatest thing you'll ever do in life is raise your kids. Now I realize in a room this size, I don't know all your stories, but I realize when it comes to children, there are probably some painful things and I certainly, last thing I want to do is increase your pain. But I will tell you, if your child's still living, it's not over yet. It is not over yet. Many times I will tell you, every kid's different. Have you ever noticed that every kid's different? I remember our Stephanie Joy was born. We were absolutely enthralled those two years, just loved raising her. And then all of a sudden, Jana Faith is born. Now, I honestly thought when Jana Faith was born, we were going to have Stephanie too. 
I'm telling you, friends, she wasn't Stephanie too. I'm thinking, what planet did this kid come from? You know what I'm talking about? What genetics did she get? I, I'm thinking, wow, she's completely different. I will tell you, every kid's different. You probably, any parent out here who's had kids, you know what I'm talking about. They're all different. All have unique challenges. Some of them are harder to raise than others. Some of them more like your spouse. That's why they're harder to raise. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, uh, each you know, one of them has unique challenges. Then you add to the fact that none of us are perfect. All of us have issues. All of us have blind spots. All of us have things we're working on. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? And so I recognize the challenge, and I want you to understand that, but that does not diminish the fact that there are not Bible principles that we need to look at tonight. And let me just simply say that as we go through this, as a parent, if you say, preacher, I, that's a failure in my life. Here's what, I want to, here's what I'm preaching the message. Not to make you feel bad, but for you to own it. Because the Bible very clearly tells us, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. In other words, friends, the beginning of reclamation is for us to own the failures in our life that we've transferred to our kids. I'll be honest with you, one of the things that's challenging about child rearing is this, your kids are mirrors of you. And there's sometimes you're thinking, that doesn't look real pretty, where did they get that from? And those are moments that are those moments where you realize God's trying to talk to you. And parenting to me is a great joy, but it also has its challenges, its difficulties. And if there's anything I can say about parenting, I'd say this. Parenting reminds you on a daily basis you need God. And if you can parent without the thought that you need God, you're in trouble. You need God. I need God. Parenting is these things that kind of, it's a great privilege, but it's above our human ability to make it happen. There has to be a divine intervention of the grace of God, no doubt about it. So let's look at a few things. And I'll be honest with you, preaching a message like this is not easy because I, I, again, realize that there's some challenges in some of your situations. And I, so I, if you have grown children, I'm not in any way, like I said, trying to rub salt in the wounds. My burden tonight is to be a help. Because I believe even with adult children, if you say, you know what, I failed there, that if you'll own it, then God graces that. He, where sin abounded, guess what happens? Grace does much more abound if we will own the sin and confess it. And uh, take responsibility. That's when God's grace can begin to take over. But if we keep pushing it off and don't take responsibility for our sin, there's no grace in that. God resists the proud. So we've already co covered that. So let's just go some things. I don't know how much we'll get to tonight. I'll try to keep an eye on the clock as we go through this. But how to raise a rebel. Number one, be bitter. Number one, be bitter. Go to Hebrews chapter number 12, a very familiar passage of Scripture. I've got a whole message on this. I think I preached it in 2016 here, according to my records. But I do want you to see one thing. Look at verse number 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And thereby, here it is, many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Really got a whole message on this, but I'm going to just simply say this. The Bible makes it very clear here that if you get bitter, there's some bad things that happen. Number one, you'll be troubled. Number two, don't miss this, you'll defile many. And the first people you'll defile will probably be the people in your house. Do you know what happens when bitterness gets into your heart and life? Often things are said and done that are provocative. The Bible says there in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. There's two ways to provoke children to wrath. Number one, anger. And number two, passivity. Inactivity. Both provoke a child to wrath. And so bitterness is that issue, provokes them to wrath. And notice, if you would please, it goes on. And the very last thing it says in 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. There are two things that bitter people are open to. And that is sexual sin, moral failure, and number two, becoming a profane person, which simply means they have an attitude toward God. If you have a kid that doesn't want to go to church, I will tell you a good chance he may have bitterness in his heart. You have a kid has an attitude like toward God, doesn't want to read the Bible, doesn't have spiritual, it's a pretty good chance that there's bitterness in his heart. And so uh, these are a couple of things. So be bitter. 
No doubt about it. I think we've talked a little bit about that, so we'll move to the next thing. How about this one? Let's go to Romans. We're going to have to turn a lot tonight. And let me just tell you, I'm not the kind of guy that preaches a lot of messages where you turn a lot. I like to pretty much stay in one passage. But we're going to have to move tonight. Romans 13. Would you do that? Romans 13. Number two, don't support God-ordained authority in their lives. Don't support God-ordained authority in their lives. Look at Romans 13, look at verses 1 and following. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The word power there is the word for authority. There's many power words in the New Testament. That's the authority power word. For there is no power but of God. The, author the powers or the authorities that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. So I want us to see, don't support God-ordained authorities in their lives. It's like this. The man who has his kids looking for cop cars so he can break the speed limit shouldn't be shocked when his kid goes out and breaks the law. <laughs> because you're not supporting God-ordained authorities in his life. It's just like this. Many years ago, I was um, a freshman, and I can remember it well. And uh, I had an English teacher I didn't like. Now, I have a renewed appreciation for every English teacher I've ever had because now I tell teenagers all across the country, if there's one subject you better master before you go to college, it's English. Because in English, there's three things you're going to need in college. Number one, grammar. Number two, composition. And number three, critical thinking. And you get that all in English class, literature class. That's where you get it. And these kids are so pumped when they hear that. Unbelievable. Okay, you know, I've got a new appreciation for English teachers. But back in that day, for whatever reason, I didn't. And I can't remember what it was about the English teacher that was a problem. But I will tell you, I lived in the house of the founder and the, um, the chief honcho of our Christian school. Okay? My dad founded the school, and he was the, he was the buck stopped with him. Okay? He didn't run it, but he was the top guy. And so I can remember it was after church one night, and I was beginning to wax eloquent. I think we were just eating a little snack after church. And I began to wax eloquent about that teacher. And I said, the teacher did this. I can't even remember what it was. And I noticed my dad wasn't saying anything. He wasn't negative. He wasn't positive. So I was getting a little bolder. You know what I'm talking about? And finally, I said, I got my courage up. And I said, you know, Dad, if she tells me to do such and such, I'm not going to do it. Man, was that the wrong thing to say? My dad just calmly looked at me and he said, oh, yes, you are. I thought to myself, sounds like a great idea, Dad. I think I'll do it. Do you know that day as I sat at that supper table, there was no daylight between my dad and that teacher. No daylight at all. So I want to ask you a question. The next Monday morning, when I went into English class, how do you think I treated that English teacher? And the answer is, like my dad was standing next to her, which means I would have treated her with great respect. But you know, many times today I've noticed that uh, getting situations where uh, that's not true. And I will tell you, friends, one day you may need that authority. Don't shoot them. So don't support God-ordained authorities. Now, you say, well, preacher, what if the authority blows it? You know, I can't remember my complaints about the teacher, but it wouldn't have surprised me. I don't think my dad did do this. But it wouldn't have surprised me if he had gotten behind, her back, behind my back and maybe talked to her about it. I don't think he did because I don't think they were that significant. But if he thought they were, that's probably what he would have done. But I wouldn't have known it. <laughs> He would have tried to work it out without me knowing it. You know why? Because he wanted me to have the right, proper respect toward authorities. You want to raise a rebel? Don't support God-ordained authorities. You know what happens? Here's a, uh, here's a teenager struggling, and the mom and dad put the youth pastor down. And one day the, the kid gets in big trouble with the law and big all kinds of trouble, and they bring him to the youth pastor's office. But you know what they've already done? They've already shot the youth pastor. <laughs> and that kid's not listening to the youth pastor. He's already heard mom and dad uh, rip them up one side and down the other. So it's important for us to recognize God, God, authorities aren't, we all know that God-ordained authorities are not perfect. But I, uh, God is simply helping us understand how important it is that we teach our young people to support God-ordained authorities. And if there's an issue, work it out behind their back so they don't know what's going on. That's where you work it out. And if need be, hopefully you can get that person, if there was a wrong towards your child, to come and apologize and get that right with your child. Okay, so number two, support God-ordained or don't support God-ordained authority if you're talking about how to raise a rebel. Number three, how to raise a rebel, let's go to blame. I won't have you turn there because you'll know the verse. 
but blame. We kind of talked about this Sunday morning, but blame everyone but yourself and your kids for their problems. It's interesting to me that Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. I believe one way you can cover your sin is by blaming other people. And blaming, blame the youth pastor, blame the teacher, blame the cop, blame whatever. And uh, that's one way to raise a rebel. Let me just kind of put, there's several of them here in a row that I'd like to deal with. And the next one would simply be, uh, be a hypocrite. Be a hypocrite. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Did you catch that verse? It says, The just man walketh in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. Notice what it did not say. It did not say, The just man walks in his perfection, his children are blessed after him. None of us are perfect. That's not what it said. It said, We're men and women of integrity. And when you do that, you bless your kids. I'm telling you, integrity is hard to come by these days. But I'm telling you, integrity will bless your kids. Say, what do you mean by an integrity? Integrity, friends, is when you are who you are. You know, one thing I appreciated my dad, I can tell you my dad was not perfect. Now, the longer he's in heaven, the more sainthood he comes to. I will be honest with you about that. But my dad certainly was not perfect. But I will tell you this, whatever he was on Sunday morning in the pulpit, that's what he was Monday night sitting at the table. He was not two different people. And uh, he walked in his integrity, and I'll tell you, he blessed all five of us just by being a man of integrity, a man who would apologize if he needed to, a man who was honest, a man who was who he was, whatever scenario of life, that's who he was. And that blesses children. And uh, sometimes uh, we're living in a day when obviously integrity is hard to come by. kind of reminds me of a story of a little boy that's sitting on an airplane. He's four years old. And somebody was sitting next to him. He was one of those ones, you know, where the stewardess takes over, you know, puts him on the plane. He's got a stewardess got to deliver him to somebody when they arrive. And, and he was sitting on the airplane and somebody leaned over and says, little boy, how old are you? He said, well, that depends. He said, on the airplane, I'm five years old. He said, because my mommy told me that I had to be five to be alone on the airplane. But he said, actually, I'm four. But if I'm going to SeaWorld, I'm three, because if you're three, you get into SeaWorld free. So it depends. Now I want to ask you a question. You know what that kid's being trained to be? A politician. <laughs> yeah, truth becomes relative. And we all know, friends, that's not integrity. <laughs> See, integrity is when we are what we are. We're honest. We're open. And I will tell you, you know what integrity does? It apologizes. You know what integrity does? Son, I, I was wrong. I didn't handle that right. You know, integrity does. Integrity is, we all know what it is. It's not perfection. It's just being open and honest. But it will bless your kids. See, when you're a hypocrite, you're one way at church and one way at home. It doesn't work. I remember several years ago having a young lady on our team and she talked about the fact when she was 12 years old, she realized something she had never realized in all of her life and that was that her parents' marriage stunk. Those are her words. She said, before that, I don't know why, I was just young, I didn't get it. But he, she said, somehow they were able to hide it, but at 12 years old, they couldn't hide it anymore. She said, my parents' marriage was awful. Yelled at each other, et cetera, et cetera. He said, the thing that bothered me, she said, I got extremely bitter, and the reason I got bitter is because my parents were one way at home, but they went to church. Everybody thought we were the model family, but he said, she said, I knew it was not true. Hey. See, that's, that's a lack of integrity. Okay, so you want to raise a rebel? Be a hypocrite. Don't be honest. Okay, you want to raise a rebel? Let's go to um, Proverbs 14.3. If you'd go to Proverbs 14.3, and again, we're going to have to go to several passages, and we might be flipping around the Bible some, but Proverbs 14.3, if you would go there, we'll be in Proverbs for some time here. Proverbs 14 and verse number 3. The Bible says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. You say, what in the world is that talking about? Well, one thing I would bring that to, and let's go to the next one. I'm not sure I'm numbering all these because I got a bunch of them on here, but let's look at this one as never apologize. I want to ask you, when's the last time you apologized to your kids? When's the last time you say, you know what, I, I got frustrated there. I was wrong to get frustrated. 
I will tell you, friend, it's not easy to apologize to your kids, but I believe it's important. And I'm telling you, friends, sometimes as I've been going down the road, I have to look to the back and say, girls, would you forgive daddy? I got upset about that traffic situation. I shouldn't have gotten frustrated about that. Would you forgive me? You know what I found? That kids are amazing. They'll easily forgive you. I want to ask you to think about it. When's the last time you apologized? Many times I take an evangelistic team with me, and, and I have all have this fall, three guys, three girls, Lord willing. And, and I will tell the team in the in training week, it says, it's not that I want this to happen, but I'm pretty sure I know that there's going to be situations. I said, it's not a matter of if I will apologize to you this too, or it's probably a matter of when. Not that I want to. And I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a sterling example of it. I've just learned that there's times when we blow it and we've got to say, you know what, that, I was, that, my attitude was wrong. I didn't deal with you right about that. And I will tell you every time, I can just tell you this, every single time in my entire ministry where I have dealt with some kid out of selfish motives, they always react. They always react. Listen, I can tell you this. I am an expert on raising college kids, an absolute expert. You say, why? Well, for 38 years, I've had two or more in my vehicle with me, college kids. <laughs> I'm kind of half teasing. I've learned the hard way how to raise college kids. I've learned if you deal with them certain ways, it's predictable. They'll react. If you deal with them a different way, they're like clay in your hand. I will tell you, anytime I react to them selfishly or because I'm upset or because they just blew up a $150 big ball, you know, because they left the, a pump on and went away and did something when they weren't supposed to, you know, and the big ball, you know, $150, bucks, uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I'm telling you, those kind of things happen and, and they uh, blow up some equipment or whatever. And anytime I deal with them because I'm frustrated, I guarantee you they will react. But anytime I deal with them and I have their best interests in mind, they always react the right way. I will tell you, friends, I've had to learn the hard way. So, um, so uh, I lost my place here. This has got too many things here. Oh, yeah, don't apologize. Yeah, don't apologize. Okay, let's go to the next one. Again, my apologies here. This is kind of a little bit. Let's go. Don't turn for time because you know this one. Matthew 6, 33. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Okay, uh, the next, uh, next one's going to be this. Put sports, recreation, hobbies, or something else in front of God. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. Let me just simply say, friends, uh, put God first. Don't put, listen, nothing wrong with sports, nothing wrong with hobbies, nothing wrong with re recreation, but I will tell you, friends, God's more important than any of those things. I remember years ago hearing the story of some folks in my home church. I don't think they're there anymore, but if I'm remembering the right people. But I remember hearing that some people got um, some tickets to go to see the Chicago Bears play the Green Bay Packers. Now, you folks down here in Atlanta, you need to understand something. When it comes to NFL football, that's one of the most brutal rivalries in the entire NFL. Now, the Packers always win, but it's still a brutal rivalry, you understand, at least in the last few years. And they got, so they were Green Bay Packers fans, and they either got tickets to Soldier Field or Lambeau, I can't remember. They got tickets, and then they found out that the missions conference was uh, that week, and it was on a Monday night. They had Monday night football tickets. And Monday, I want to ask you a question. So if you had tickets for an NFL football game on a Monday night, and you found your church had a missions conference, which would you go to? <laughs> now, I'm going to just tell you this right now. I would really encourage you to go to the mission conference. You say, why? Because it's really important for you to kids to know that what's going on in the mission field is a million times more important than what's going on at Soldier Field. <laughs> See? And many times people today don't live like those kind of priorities. And I want to tell you, you want to raise a rebel? Just put anything in front of God. Put sports, hobbies, uh, recreation, whatever. Just put anything in front of God. And I will tell you, you'll raise kids that really will not value spiritual things. You know how you teach them to seek first the kingdom of God? You do it. You make God the most important. Okay, so let's go to the next one here. Um, Never, let's go to Proverbs 1. Go to Proverbs chapter number 1. I want you to look at a verse of Scripture here, Proverbs 1, and look at verse number 10, Proverbs 1 and verse number 10. There's actually almost any verse in Proverbs would have done for this particular point, but here it is. Proverbs 1 and verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, 
consent thou not. The next one is simply this. You want to raise a rebel? Don't warn your children of evil. Don't warn your children of evil. Now, I will tell you, friends, we obviously live in a very wicked world. And I will tell you, when I was growing up, I, uh, I, I remember... Uh, well, let me just simply say this. I, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I lived there for just a few months. Don't remember any of it, obviously. And we moved to Durango, Colorado, where my dad became the pastor of a church out in Durango. So the next six years of my life were in Durango, Colorado, a town of 6,000 that time forgot. In other words, I remember cowboys coming into town on horses, tying up the horses and walking into the bank with two guns like this. And they always walk like this out there. And they got uh, spurs on and their six guns hanging off. I just call it open carry. You know, come to think of it, it wasn't very much crime out there either. But anyway, and uh, uh, I, it, was, it was the end of the Old West. That was like a place time forgot. And then when I was six years old, our family moved to Chicago, Illinois. Now, you know what that's called? Culture shock. That's what it's called. Now, I'm six years old, so I'm not really aware of how much culture shock it is, though I did notice that Chicago was way different than Durango. We flew into the airport there at O'Hare. We got off the plane. Some deacons met us, put us in a car, said, you're in Chicago. We drove for 45 minutes, never left Chicago. 45 minutes later, we're still in Chicago. I'm thinking, this place is huge. <laughs> I couldn't comprehend it. A town of 6,000, you were crossing five minutes. I'm thinking to myself, this place is weird. There's no mountains. It's all flat. You know what I'm talking about? I thought it was, I remember as a six-year-old trying to comprehend it, but I had no idea how different it was. I'm telling you, it's amazing that my parents brought our family into that because it was, I'm telling you, Chicago in the 60s had problems. I remember going to elementary school, and I will tell you, it didn't take me long to realize these kids talk different than Durango kids. I'm not just talking about accent. Now, they did have a different accent. They would, um, you know, pretty much not have THs. It was like this and dad, and you know what I'm talking about and everything else. And you see, you know what a Chicago accent is? It's a gangster accent. That's what it is. Okay, but anyway, and uh, so they did talk different. They definitely had an accent. There's no doubt about that. But I'm telling you, they talk different this way too. Every curse word I've ever heard, I have heard from the lips of first graders. They're some of the most dirtiest, vilest people I've ever known were first graders. Now I realize they were only parroting what their parents were saying at home. But I remember it was culture shock. And I thank the Lord for my dear mother and my father at times, but in my early years, more my mother, who would warn me. She would warn me. Those kids talked about the fact they built a fort out by the railroad yards, and I'm talking first graders would laugh and smile about the fact it was absolutely plastered with pornography. Can you imagine that? First graders. And they invited me to come. I will tell you, friends, I never one time came. You say, why? Because my parents had a rule. I could only go a block from the house. Weren't they mean, small-minded, narrow-minded parents? You know what? I thank the Lord I never saw it. went to that fort. I thank God I never... And I also knew it was wrong. I knew it. Because my mother, my mother had been around the block many, many times. When she graduated from high school, she lived... Sure, her mother died when she was nine. Her father died at 14. She raised herself. Can you imagine being in high school and having no parents, living in a house, raising yourself? That's what my mother did. She lived in a very wicked town. When she graduated, it was her and one other or herself alone, the only virgin left in the senior class. She had been around the block many times. She had a passion for moral purity because she saw so much of the other junk going on and how it ruined lives. And I couldn't tell you every incident, but I remember my mother age appropriately warning me. I remember her warning me about predators and molesters and homosexuality and in, in age-appropriate ways, but I'm going to tell you, it was, I can still see those brown eyes and the tears filling her eyes and warning me. You know what she's saying? My son, if sinners entice thee, do not consent, consent thou not. You want to raise a rebel? Don't warn him. Don't warn him. And I have to, I don't tell you, I don't, I'm not telling you what to warn him about. I'm just simply saying, God can show you what they need warnings to as I got older, my dad began to take over and began to, to say the right things. And I will tell you, I thank God for my dad who, age appropriately, sat down and stage by stage began to open up certain things in the moral arena and began to explain things to me. And I always felt I could go to my dad about any question in the moral arena. 
So um, never warn them of, of evil. Let's go to the next one. And uh, let's turn, if we could, please, to Proverbs chapter 3. You're just in one, so you're probably there. You may not even have to turn. Proverbs chapter number 3. And, and um, oh, I, let me just, before we go to that one, there's one other. My apologies. I, I, again, I took the, the message I've preached before, and I put it on here, and it's not in order. I've just got the numbers, and I'm trying to, to track with it. So it's not like I preach this all the time. But let me give you another one here before I go to, to the Proverbs 3 passage. And I can quote you this verse. Don't be vigilant on media choices. You want to raise a rebel? Don't be vigilant on the media choices. Now I'm going to give you a verse, and I'm going to tell you this verse is a great verse. Here it is. Matthew 24, 12. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now I want to teach you a principle, and the principle is this. That the more you love, the more you hate. Ye that love the Lord, anybody know? Hate evil. The more you love Jesus the more you will hate evil. Does that make sense? So when somebody, uh, the Bible tells us, there's another uh, situation here, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So it's like this. The colder somebody's love gets, the Bible is telling us, the more they are abounding in iniquity. Now I'm going to say it this way. You show me a teenager that is cold to the things of God, and I will show you a teenager whether he's not just in iniquity, he's in abounding iniquity. And I'm telling you, it's really true. I'm telling you, if you're not vigilant on the media choices in the day in which we live, we all know back when I was a kid, media had its problems, but it was kindergarten compared to today. And if you're not vigilant on the media choices, your kids can absolutely watch stuff that was peeled off the walls of hell with literally seconds. It's a different day. Do you want to raise a rebel? Don't be vigilant on media choices. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Because kids, when they start getting into that junk, you know what happens? Their love for God and things eternal and their love for souls gets colder and colder and colder. And I'm going to just tell you now, right, parents, don't be naive about this. If your kid doesn't want to go to church, he's in abounding iniquity. If your kid doesn't care about the Bible, he's not just in sin, he's in abounding sin. Don't buy na be naive about it. You say, well, preacher, how do you know? Because the Bible tells us. When people get cold, it's not, in a, it's not in a vacuum. There's a reason. I tell you, I've worked with teenagers for 38 years, and I can tell you this. You show me a kid who's cold to the things of God, and I will show you a kid, if you knew everything about it, he would not just be an iniquity. He'd be an abounding iniquity every single time. I remember years ago, there was a kid came to our Christian school up north. And man, the kid was on fire for God. and He was just transferred in from his parents had moved to, to the ministry there. And, and man, he was on fire for God. And then it was like he fell off a cliff. Came one of the most hard, cold kids I've ever seen in my life. And I remember I was talking to somebody one day and I said, man, I said, that kid's not just an iniquity. You mark my words. He's an abounding iniquity. And I remember by their very reaction, they didn't agree with me, which is fine. You don't have to agree with me. And I remember later on when it came out, it came out, it was worse than I thought. He's never recovered, by the way. He's still not, I don't believe, fully in the will of God. He's never recovered. I'm just telling you, friends, you've got a cold teenager, wake up, smell the coffee, start praying. I remember one morning, I hesitate to tell this, because I don't know if it's ever been publicly told, but I remember one Saturday morning, I remember my parents were on a journey. There's no doubt about it. Our family uh, grew spiritually and there were convictions that we didn't have that we began to adopt and we grew as a family and became probably a little more conservative in certain areas. And this was back in, in the uh, 70s and it was the big dating culture. And I had an older sister, had a boyfriend and they would go on dates together and, and uh, uh, my mom would be troubled as they drive off, say to my dad, aren't they sitting a little too close? And I mean, you know, just kind of pretty much 60s, 70s. Well, I don't know how to explain it. I thank God for my mother. But man, my mother had what most mothers have. I don't know how to explain it. She had a sense. You know what I'm talking about? But whenever my mother had a sense, she didn't let it go. And I'll never forget that Saturday morning where she pulled my sister in. And I want to tell you, I think it was six hours she worked with my sister. And finally my sister broke. Now, there had not been what we would call today moral impurity, but there had been enough physical uh, activity going on that it was, it was over. She broke up that day. It rescued her life. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Because my mother wasn't playing naive. She realized something's wrong. 
something's wrong. I'm going to tell you, friend, not just media, the whole thing. When you're not vigilant on sin issues, friends, you're going to raise a rebel. And I will tell you, I'm just telling every parent, when your kid gets cold, you better realize something's wrong. And don't let it go. And don't let it go until it comes out. Get relentless on the deal. So um, let's go then to the next one. And we mentioned Proverbs 3. Let's go to Proverbs 3. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father, the son, in whom he delighteth. Okay, here it is. You want a raise a rebel? Don't love him unconditionally. Don't love them unconditionally. Many times with new parents, I now give them advice because I want to tell you, I, I realize our world in which we live, there's not a lot of biblical advice out there. I say there's two things you need to do. Number one, love them unconditionally. And number two, don't let them get away with anything. Those are not contradictory, by the way. If you're crazy about your kids, you won't let them get away with anything. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about the discipline side. But before we get to the discipline side, we've got to talk about the love side. Because I want to tell you something, friends. Love is powerful. I'm going to say this. You can intimidate your kids only so long. And pretty soon, it doesn't work anymore. I don't know how many parents I've seen raise their kids on intimidation. It works for a while, but pretty soon that son of yours is going to be bigger and stronger than you are, and it won't work anymore. Can I tell you a better way? A way that is unbelievably powerful, and here it is. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. I want to tell you something. I knew my mom loved me. I knew my dad loved me. I knew that they would give their lives for me. You say, how do you know that? I just knew it. I knew they were all about it. I knew they were more, how do I say this, more into my life counting for God, even for their own. They wanted, they were, in, they were pouring their lives into us. And I will tell you something, friends, I'm just going to tell you right now. If somebody unconditionally loves you, you are almost powerless not to love them back. You can't resist it. We love him because... I want to tell you something, friends, if you try to love God without fully realizing how much he loves you, you can't do it. But when you get a hold of the fact and you start walking with God and you start living in the reality of God's love in your life and you start maybe in your hour with God, start meeting with God and you begin to experience the love of God by his presence and showing up, you can't help but love him in return. Can I say this? You're helpless not to love him. You've just got to. It's not hard. It's almost, I hate to use the word, automatic. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I guarantee you, if you met with the Lord this morning, you have no trouble loving Jesus because he loved you. He just put the love on you, didn't he? And you walked out of that time with God thinking, man, do I love Jesus. Love's powerful. You know, love is so powerful that my dad could ask me to do something when he was 38 years old, 37 years, or when I was 37 years old. He could ask me to do something when I was 37 and I would have done it in a heartbeat. Not because I was intimidated, not because I was motivated by fear, but because I loved him. In fact, I tell people, I don't like to use the past tense. I still love my dad. He's alive. He's just not here. I still love him. I'll tell you, there's one thing that I kind of... I'm not looking forward to dying, but one of the kind of silver lining in dying is I get to see my parents again. And I'm telling you, we're going to have a few thousand years just talking about everything going on. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. But you see, the point is, and I, some of you say, preacher, I didn't come from a home like that. I understand that. But the truth is, Jesus loves you so you can love your kids that way. <laughs> see, just because you came from a dysfunctional home doesn't mean you have to transfer the dysfunction. You say, why? God's grace is bigger than that. You know the thing I love about my, both my parents is they didn't come from good homes. They didn't come from they didn't even come close, close, even close to where my home came from. Like I mentioned, my mom was orphaned. We're not even sure her, her parents are in heaven. I hope they are. She hoped they were, but she had no assurance her parents were saved. None. They were good people. They were moral, but they weren't spiritual. We don't know if they're in heaven. I hope they are. On my dad's side. We hope his dad's in heaven. We're not sure about that. He was 
carnal. He was defeated. He was angry. He was frustrated. He never took it out of the kids, but he just lived like frustrated, kind of bummed out about what, he, what could have been. The only of the four grandparents that we know are as godly was my grandmother on my dad's side. She's one I give illustrations about, my praying grandmother who walked with God and in usual way left a tremendous spiritual legacy. But the point is, you could probably say in both those situations we're not optimum. And in both those situations, I think it's fair to say that we would even say the word dysfunctional might be fair. So you say, well, preacher, how in the world did your parents learn how to be good parents? And the answer is, from God. I will tell you, my mother, she saw she was going, she had, she had uh, I think, uh, five kids, four miscarriages, nine pregnancies, and in her early years, she realized, I'm going to have a lot of kids. And it scared her. She thought, I don't know how to raise kids. And she said, I got a, a vision, not a real vision, but you know what I'm saying, just kind of a, in her mind's eye, she began to think about, she saw this room full of teenagers and smoke, kids, cigarette smoking, and smokes all over the room, and the TV blaring with uh, things that offended Almighty God. And it scared her. She said, that's where we're going. That's where we're going to end up. So you know what my mother did? Now I'm going to tell you this is what she did. She got on her knees, and here's what she did. She said, God, she said, I don't want my kids to turn out like that. She said, God, I'm going to just tell you, if my kids rebel against God and they bring disgrace to your name, I'd rather have you take them home to heaven early. Now, not only did she pray that, she told us on a regular basis. Now, if you don't love your if you're not crazy about your kids, you can't tell your kids this. But I knew my mother was crazy about us. As an orphan, we were the only family she had. But she would tell us, well, I mean, with that, oh, she was a prophet. Somebody, some people say, well, who was the best Van Gelderen preacher? Well, I can tell you, my dad's wife, that's who was the greatest, greatest Van Gelderen preacher. I'm telling you, she'd get those brown eyes flash. And I mean, she'd look at me and see, now, Jimmy, tears would be in her eyes. She said, now, Jimmy, I'm praying. If you don't live for God, I'm praying God will take you home to heaven early. Well, what would you do when you're 16? Here you are wrestling with, where am I going to do? Am I going to live for God, do what I want to do? So here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, okay, I can live for God and live. I can go my own way and die. You know, I think I'll live for God. Now, I'm not telling you to pray that way. But I'm telling you, I knew, I knew my mother loved me, but I knew she loved God more. She was all about us turning out for God. To us, not turning out for God was not an option. And I just want to challenge you, unconditional love. Now, I was listening to a message at the conference uh, that uh, this past year, and I think it's probably online. I would encourage you to listen to Pastor Tim Rabin's message if, if this particular point resonates with you. But he dealt with four, five A's that are very essential when it comes to child rearing. And I was struck with the first three, and I thought he got them in the right order. Now, I'm all for discipline. I'm going to deal with that in a moment. But many times, that's where we start. But he give you three words he talked about. First of all, acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. That your kids, your acceptance of your kids is not dependent on what they do. They know you love them no matter what they do in life. That uh, your, your acceptance of them. That as, the second one is Appreciation. That you reach out and you appreciate it all about. There's much more I could say about it, but uh, again, I'll let you listen to the message if this resonates with you. And the other, the third one is affection. I thought, wow, that's really good. You know, hugging your kids. My wife calls it the warm and fuzzies. Hugging your kids, spending time with them. I'm not going to go into the language of love. Many of you are familiar with. How many are familiar with language of love? You know, Gary. Uh, I think it's what's I can't remember the guy's name, but anyway, he's absolutely hilarious if you read his book. But you know what I found? Learn your kids' language of love and use it. I've got one of them that's a hugger, and I've got one of them that's focused attention. Mommy, you're not looking at me. Remember her saying that when we were going up. We all learned, when you're talking to her, you better look her in the eye. And I will tell you something. I learned something probably by accident, but I want to tell you, uh, if you listen to them when they're, when they're young, they'll talk to you when they're old. You know, many parents don't listen to their little kids. Oh, he's just three years old. I would encourage you to get down to their level, grab their little hands, and listen to them. Talk about the doll that got the arm ripped off. Listen to them. You say, well, preacher, that's not that important. It is to them. <laughs> And I'm just telling you right now, if they're not talking to you now, maybe you didn't listen to them when they're younger. You listen to them now, they will talk to you later on. 
See, that's that idea there of, 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 uh, of affection, speaking their language of love, connecting with them, spending time. And uh, kind of along with this issue of, uh, of unconditional love is uh, something that is, uh, I believe, very important. And uh, let me get the exact words here. And that's establish a relationship. I want you to go to Proverbs 23. Would you do that real quickly? Go to Proverbs 23. And I, again, pardon sometimes the disjointedness between the points. But Proverbs chapter 23, and I want you to see something that is stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Look at verse 26. Proverbs 23, look at verse number 26. It says, My son, give me thine heart. And let thine eyes observe my ways. Okay, notice what, what uh, Solomon is saying. My son, give me your heart. In other words, uh, I want you to trust me enough. Why, now, let me ask you a question. When, how do I say this? Do you give God your heart? And the answer is when you trust him. So when does your child give you their heart? When they trust you. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Do you see the next verse? Do you see the next verse? The next verse is stunning. What does it say? For a whore is a deep dish. That's strong language. The greatest thing you can do to protect your kids from moral impurity is to have, is a, have a connection with them, a relationship with them. I don't know how many kids, when I start talking to them, I'm telling you, I could just tell you all kinds of stories. When a young man confesses, you know, I'm hooked on pornography. Their stories are often very similar, 8 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. They came across it and the action is all the same. I was too afraid to go to my dad. I was too afraid to go to my dad. And I think to myself how important it is for a dad and a son to have a relationship where these kind of things are being discussed so they feel freedom to go. And many times I think, I thought my dad would be upset. Well, if you're never responding out of anger and dealing with your kids, pretty good chance they're not going to think you're going to get upset. Do you know what happens? Usually there's an anger problem and the kid's afraid. I tell teenagers everywhere, the greatest protection from moral impurity and sexual uh, addictions, the greatest protection is innocence. Innocence. It's unbelievable. That's why I'd beg every teenager in this room, if you've got a brain between your ears, if you are ever exposed to something filthy or provocative or dirty, make a beeline to somebody who loves you and say, hey, this just happened. Why? Because the greatest protection is going to stay for you to stay in innocence. But you know what happens? They don't go to their parents, they don't go to their dad, and they get curious, and it kills them. I tell young people, don't get curious. I wouldn't get curious about strychnine poison. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, I wonder how this tastes. No, I don't think so. I wonder a rat, rat poison. I wonder what that tastes like. I wonder what that'll do to me. No, you'd be a, you'd be a, a, a fool to mess around with poison, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm just curious. I will tell you, and I'm going to say every teenager in this room, I would rather any day a man come up to me with a loaded pistol and stick it in my face any day than somebody come and put a sensual image in my face. You say, preacher, why? Because all the gun can do is put me in heaven a little bit early. But that sensual image can destroy me, my wife, my kids, my grandkids. Are you tracking with me? I'm telling you, young people, there's dear people in this room that could come up and give testimony to the fact, hey, listen, when I was so-and-so age, I, I saw this stuff, got into it. Man, I wish I'd never done it. I've never met somebody who was getting right about some kind of issue of moral purity that ever said, boy, I'm glad I did that. And they're all thinking, man, I wish I'd never been exposed the first time. So if you're a teenager in this room, don't go out that window. But uh, if it's ever exposed to you, make a beeline to someone that cares about you. But the Bible is very clearly saying, how, how do you protect a child from getting into moral impurity? The Bible says, get their hearts. Get their hearts. And one of the ways you get their hearts is you talk about it, age appropriate. Talk about it. My wife started talking to my girls just when they were young, young. And used a certain little picture that was very appropriate and had no clue. I mean, it was just very careful. If you want to, some of you mothers, want to, young mothers want to get to my wife, she'll be glad to explain what she did because it was a marvelous thing. And, and uh, it's just age appropriate, just enough information to help them. And, and we tried to move through. I'm not saying we did it perfectly, but I'm just simply saying that there has to be, the Bible says, get their heart. Because the whore is a deep ditch. I, I, I remember my mother warning me. 
about loose women. My mother warned me about the strange woman, appropriately, at the right age. So, um, so then if you want to raise a rebel, don't connect. Don't establish a relationship with your kids. Don't be approachable. And one last thing, go to Psalm 27. Would you do that? Well, Psalm 27. These are all really almost subpoints of the unconditional love. Psalm 127. 127. Let's look at this real quickly. I want you to see something here. Psalm 127. One of the interesting psalms that deals with the home, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I'm going to get two points out of here. Number one, don't trust God to build your house. I will tell you, there's one thing you can mark about the fact as a parent, like I've already said, I, I, when I became a parent, I was in over my head. And I thought I could, it was a whole lot easier than it was. I remember realizing, God, if you don't do something, I'm done. There were times in discipline I thought, I'm not winning. Now, I don't know about you, but I had kids who were brain dead. You know what I'm talking about? You discipline them, then they go back and do it again. Over and over and over again. I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? I thought this was going to be easy. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, all you young parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like my kid's brain dead. Like, what's wrong? Can't he get this? You know, can't she get this? It was like over and over and over again. I'm missing something here. I remember the challenge of that. God, you've got to do something. God, you've got to intervene. God, it's not as easy as I thought it was. So let me, you want to raise a rebel? Don't trust God. Try to build the house without God. But there's something else I want to see in conclusion here. And I appreciate so much your good attention here tonight. Look what it says here in verse number four. It says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. This is another aspect here, but this would be uh, don't, don't cast vision or don't shoot your kids as arrows. You want to raise a rebel? Don't cast vision for them. I remember... 16 years old, seated on this side of the auditorium. My dad preached a message that night. I couldn't tell you a thing about the message because I was wrestling with God. God was calling me to preach, and I knew it. At the end of that message, I remember coming forward, grabbing my dad's hand. I remember my looking up in my dad's face, and as soon as I did, I just burst into tears. And I said, Dad, I think God's calling me to preach. Now, some of you heard my story before, but I was extremely shy. So for me, like, this is not, this is, I can't believe this. This can't be. I think God's calling me to preach. I will never forget my dad's response because to this day, it influences me. You know what my dad said? Your mother and I have known it for a long time. We've been praying for you. How did you know? Now, like a dumb kid, I never asked my dad, and then he went to heaven. Now I can't ask him. So I'm thinking, Dad, how did you know? How did you know? And I'm going to tell you with all my heart, you know what I believe it was? My brother Wayne used to say, you know, Jim, when you met your wife before, when it was, you know, what should, is this God's will or not? He said, your dad, dad would disappear for a day or two. He said, I know what he was doing. He was out fasting and praying and finding out what God's will was. You say, preacher, how did your dad know you were called to preach? I will tell you, friends, the only figure, place I can figure out, God must have told him. And you know what my dad began to do from that point on? He began to cast vision for my life. He began to shoot me as an arrow. Do you know what happens when you shoot an arrow? You shoot it in a certain direction. You say, preacher, how do I know what direction to shoot my kids? The answer is, get along with God and find out. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be able to specifically get it. Now, I've got a brother-in-law who tells, he, he, he's so much casting vision for his kids, he tells them what mission field they're going to go to. I'm telling you the honest truth. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Unbelievable. I, I maybe don't go that far. But casting vision for your kids. I remember my dad used to begin to say to me, Jim, God's hand's on your life. God's going to use you. I remember, it's like this. I remember my dad saying, Jim, God's going to use you more than he used me. Now, you, you don't know my dad, but God really used my dad. In fact, honestly, I'm not sure that's been true yet. That's why I can't die yet, because I, I haven't fulfilled dad's vision yet. But anyway, I, uh, so that's kind of comforting. But, uh, uh, but the point is, he would say, God's going to use you greater than he used me. And he had all kinds of things he would say to me. And let me just, all you teenagers, close your ears. Just close your ears for a moment. Don't listen. I want all the parents to listen. Here it is. You know what happens when you tell your kids things like this? Kids are dumb. They'll believe you. 
And do you know what I began to do? I believed my dad. I believe God had something big for me. Do you know what happens when you have a dream and you believe God has something big for you? When Potiphar's wife comes along, you're not too interested in it. You know why many kids go for Potiphar's wife? Because they don't have a dream. Mom and dad never gave them a dream. Somebody has said no one will ever do anything great until somebody tells them that they can do it. Dale Moody put his hand on a little gypsy boy's head and said, young man, God could use you to preach all across the world. And that little gypsy became Gypsy Smith. Somebody cast vision for him. A little gypsy boy probably didn't have much vision cast for him, but Dale Moody did. I'm telling you some friends, get on your knees. Get vision for your kids. Start casting vision. God can use you. God's got something for you. God's got something big for you. It's, how do I say this? We're not talking about the power of positive thinking. We're not talking about saying it just to say it. We're talking about finding out from God and casting the vision that God gives us. See, that's real. And it's powerful. You say, well, I got kids who have messed up. Hey, listen, just like we talked about, God can take people's mess up and turn them into stepping stones. And I want to tell you, it's remarkable. I know God's going to do it. And I'll tell you, see, you look at a kid and hey, listen, I know you had a failure in this line. God's going to use you, that in your life so you can go help other people that are struggling in it or help other people stay out of it. Cast vision for your kids. Shoot them as arrows. No matter where they are, God wants to use their life. They need somebody to cast vision for them. And uh, I remember it was probably about a year or two ago, I thought this was the oddest thing. Uh, it was just March 9th, was 25 years my dad's been in heaven. So this would probably be about 23 years my dad had been in heaven. And I was at some church, I can't remember, this doesn't happen very much. I know uh, this is going to shock you, and I, I'm going to wind the message down here, but I'll just shock you before I'm done. Do you know that when you preach, not everybody likes your preaching? Did you know that? Did you know that? You might want to encourage your pastor every once in a while because not everybody likes our preaching. I know that will shock you. And, and I was preaching somewhere, and I, I mean, somebody did not like my... I mean, they came up to me, and they just let me have it about something. I can't remember what it was. You know what the very first thought that came to my mind? Here I am. I'm late 50s. Guy comes up to me, rips me up about my preaching, and my very first thought was this. really doesn't matter what you think. My dad thinks I'm a good preacher. I'm thinking, where did that come from? <laughs> He's been in heaven 23 years. I'm telling you, friends, mom and dad, your words are powerful. When you say you can't do anything right, that's probably what they'll do. But when you say God wants to use you to change the world, that's probably what they'll do. I'm just telling them his arrows, shoot them forth. Cast forth vision. Get rid of the negative rhetoric. If there's been negative rhetoric, get it right. Because I'm telling you, the negative rhetoric is killing us. You tell a kid, man, you know, you'll be nothing but a ditch digger. I'm not saying it's wrong to be a ditch digger, but, you know, many times that's said in a very negative way. So, um, how, do you raise, how do you raise a rebel? Well, there's a lot of things. We've talked about tonight. I'm sure there's more. But I want to just conclude with this, friend. God's grace is a pretty big, stuff, big, big thing. And if you're sitting here this evening and you're coming along and saying, Richard, I failed here, I failed here, I failed here, I failed here. I want to tell you, every failure you and I have, that God's grace is bigger than that where sin abounded, grace can abound. Uh, but I'm telling you, it's never going to happen when you sit there and try to justify it. But when you get honest and say, you know, I got a problem. I got to deal with this. I got some failure in my life. That's when God's grace starts turning the thing around. My parents weren't perfect. And I will tell you, I, I, uh, I will tell you, I realize I could probably, if I sat here, could preach a whole message on my parents' imperfections. I'd have to think hard about it. But I could do that. They were just like you. They were sinners saved by grace. And I'm going to tell you, friends, we're all sinners saved by grace. But hallelujah, the grace of God can turn the thing around. You say, well, my kid's been out of the home. He's all messed up. Don't give up. If God's convicted you, maybe you will need to do a phone call and say, you know, I said some things to you that may have framed up your, your negative thinking in your life. I was wrong. I was wrong. I believe God wants to use your life. 
even where you are and all the negative that's happened. God wants to use your life. I don't know what God wants you to do, but I'm telling you, God is the Lord is nigh to them with a broken heart, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. My burden for the window you go out tonight is go out the window to own it and then ask God for grace to turn it around, no matter where they are. If they're still on planet Earth, there's still hope. <laughs> there's still hope. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Would you just stand to your feet right where you are, heads bowed, eyes closed? Heads bowed, eyes closed, just a moment. We're going to just ask the piano to play. And I'm just going to urge you now, I'm going to just say this. This obviously is a message more for moms and dads, I get this, but even if you don't have children, God may have touched your heart with something. You're certainly welcome to come. You may be a teenager in the room, God touched your heart. Let me just say, young people, the wrong window to go out is, yeah, my parents blow it here, they blow it here, blow it here. It's not my fault. Well, actually, the Bible says you are responsible, even though your parents didn't perfectly, you're still responsible for bad choices. And you can't blame your parents. So if you're a teenager and you're part of the problem, you need to come and get right too. So as the piano plays, you just do what God tells you to do.